0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and my guest today is Dr. Rebecca Ree. and I've always discovered that the less I say, the better off I am, because we're going to talk about jail today, and I'm I'm already assuming I'm saying that incorrectly in the biblical Hebrew, so I will let her do all of that explanation, but Rebecca is a regular guest. Always glad to have her on. She's got uh, quite an um, uh, educational background, uh, got her her doctorate, her PhD in religion and literature from Boston University. You can learn more about her at Rebecca Ree R H E E dot net. Rebecca Ree dot net. Rebecca, welcome once again.
1: Oh, it's
2: like coming home. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. And I, I assumed I said jail wrong.
2: You said it like prison. <laughs> and we're not talking about prison today. J L? So, no, yeah. J J L,
0: J-J-L, yes. <laughs>
2: no with a with a y yes sound, like a Y. Okay, yeah, say it. L. Say it
0: correctly then for me. Yael. Yeah, Yael. Yeah, okay. Yeah. See. See. Isn't that? I, I stand corrected once again. The less talking I do, the better.
2: <laughs> well, that's not entirely true.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about Yael today, and I know um, she is uh, quite. There's quite a quite a story behind it.
2: There is, and um, today we're going to be looking at a very violent story, and um, before we enter into that. Story. Um, I also wanted to mention to your listeners that um, not the whole of what I have to say, but there are some parts of what I have to say that have adult themes in this one. So I would say a teenager and above is okay, um, but this might not be the best teaching for the little ones.
0: Okay. And we will repeat that more than once throughout the hour. So thank you for giving us that heads up.
2: Yep. So um, today we're going to be looking at a very violent story of battle found in Judges 4 and discover how it relates so unexpectedly to us. And I picked this text not only because I find it fascinating, but I wanted to make the point that the Apostle Paul makes in 2 Timothy when he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. God uses scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So it's the prepare and equip part that I want us to experience today as we take um, a story that seems so outlandish and so, you know, far from us and apply it to our lives. And specifically, I'm thinking about applying it to our sense of calling to serve God well, no matter how ill-equipped or incapable we might be feeling at the moment. So um, I would suggest that we just jump right into the story, which is found in Judges chapter four, and I'm going to read an abridged version to you for the sake of time. And I'm beginning in verse four, so it might be a little bit uh, hard to follow me if you're trying to follow the text because I'm skipping over some parts, so you you could just sit back and relax and listen if, if that's easiest for you. But I'm going to read an abridged version from Judges four, and I'm starting with chapter four. Now Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel at that time. Now she sent and summoned Barach, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun, and I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Yavin's army with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. And Sisera called together 900 iron chariots and all the people who were with him to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So so Barak went down with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Yavin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, "'Turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid.' And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, "'Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty.' So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered her. Then she covered him. And he said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent and it shall be, if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is any, is there anyone here that you shall say no? But Yael, Hever's wife took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple And it went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Yael came out to meet him and said, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day Yavin, the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel
0: nicely done, Rebecca, and can I just say, I love that we're tackling a difficult passage in Judges chapter 4. Now, you read it beautifully, the story was great, and now I know we're going to dig into it, but uh, again, just a reminder, there are going to be some uh, adult themes, not everything Rebecca's going to say is going to be that, but it's for uh, really ears that are, what, tweeners and up?
2: Yep, I would say tweeners and up. Okay
0: even though I'm not exactly sure what a tweener is. All right.
2: (laughs) So uh, before uh, we jump into the teaching for today, today, let me provide some context for the story. So we're in a tumultuous period in Israel's history when they are being ruled by interim leaders called judges. And Joshua, Moses' successor, has long since died. And the people have abandoned God's ways and started worshiping local deities. And whenever they do, God allows Israel to become enslaved by their pagan neighbors. But whenever they cry out for help, he provides a judge to deliver them. But when that judge dies, Israel inevitably reverts back to paganism and ends up in slavery again Till another judge is appointed. And so the pattern goes on and on. That's basically what you see in the book of Judges. So Deborah happens to be one of the better judges appointed to Israel, and she's special not only because she is a female judge, but because she's also a prophet who speaks for God and, in this case, also foretells the future. And during her tenure, Israel is being oppressed by Yavin, a Canaanite king. Now, the commander of King Yavin's army is named Sisera, whom we know has at least 900 iron chariots at his command. And in biblical times, iron chariots are cutting edge warfare technology. It's like that new stealth jet, or jet that they just developed on the news that you can see. It's like cutting edge warfare technology and going against an army equipped with those iron chariots is a formidable challenge if you are not equally equipped. So, Deborah is not intimidated in the least. She calls on a man from the tribe of Naphtali called Barak, and she lays down this strategy. She says, look, gather 10,000 men, march on foot to this river, and I'm going to drive Sisera's high power army straight into your hands and you slaughter them. And Barak is no doubt thinking, uh, okay, men on foot versus men in chariots. I don't like those odds, but what we hear him say is if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't, I won't. And she says, that's fine. But the glory today is going to go to another because God is going to sell Sisera into the hands. And we find out this is quite literally into the hands of a woman. Now the story seems to set you up to think that that woman is going to be Deborah. And of course we know not. So from what we just read, God uses a Canaanite woman named Ya'el to secure Israel's victory in this battle. And Ya'el wins the day in what might be the strangest form of assassination <laughs> in the no, whole kidding. Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. So the question I wanted to put to the text today is, why, why might God have chosen this unlikely candidate to fulfill his stated purpose? You know, what makes Yael especially suited to the task of acting as God's agent? You know, there's three things that I see, each with implications for us being used as God's agents too, no matter what our backgrounds are or our circumstances. So let's go through those uh, three things. Why, you know, why did he choose Yael and what implication does that have for us personally?
0: I, so, I find the the setup fascinating. Uh, Rebecca, uh, you're doing a great job so far. I mean, it's like the game of Clue. You know, <laughs> it was in the tent with the peg through the head. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to find out more about uh, Yael, and uh, I am I think that we're going to take our first break, though, right now, if that's okay. A-OK with you. Uh, Dr. With Rebecca Rhee is my guest. You can learn more about Rebecca at dot net. And also, this Christmas, we're going to want to give hope to someone who needs hope. And I think the, the the most faithful thing we can do is try to find out who that person is in your life. And if you want to uh, nominate them, you can't change their journey, but you can certainly encourage them. And you can pray to see how it might be, how you might be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas. And let Faith Radio know of the need of this person. And they might be blessed with a $500 Visa gift card. You can give hope for mm-hmm. Christmas at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. We'll be right back with Rebecca Ree. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877 933 2484 and leaving a message today. I'm back with Dr. Rebecca Ree, and we're talking about. Yael today. Now, when I started this interview, I, I, I called her J-L or J-L. <laughs> so I've been corrected twice. The first one was J-L and the proper Hebrew pronunciation is Yael. So, yep. so far, I think I'm, I'm proving thanks to uh, your, your, your tutoring me. I appreciate that. But we are uh, getting to learn more about her. And there are parts of this uh, interview today that will be um, more adult-themed, uh, so not all of it, but parts of it, just so you know, it's probably not for younger ears. All right, let's uh, learn more about Yael.
2: Yeah, so specifically the question that we're putting the text to the text is, what are the three things that Yael teaches us about being an agent of God? Why, why would God pick such like an unlikely candidate from a foreign people uh, in a wartime uh, context to uh, accomplish his will? So that's the, those are the three things we're asking. I mean, that's the one thing we're asking, and we have three responses to it. And so let's, let's look at the first reason. So first, Yael knows what she has at her disposal. She knows what's in her tent. That's the first reason I think God chooses her. If we do an inventory of the things Yael uses from her tent to achieve her goal, it's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. She, has, she has the tent itself, which serves as a hiding place to lure Sisera to. She has a rug to cover him. She has a bottle of milk for comfort. And she has a tent peg and a hammer, definitely not for comfort.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so she's got all these things right there in that tent. And... The way that we find out Yael has these things is because she uses every single one of them rather than hunting around for something else somewhere else. She is a resourceful lady, and she's laying hands on what she already has to achieve her goals. And it kind of reminded me of that um, show called MacGyver. It's like, you know, use a paperclip and, you know, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and a screwdriver and, you know, he can like, you know, Catch the bad guy. Right. So she's she's like a MacGyver. She's a biblical times MacGyver. Now, I don't want to gloss over that fact because how many times when we are called on to do something do we counter with, but I don't have what I need. You know, I'm not educated enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not courageous enough. This story teaches us that whatever it is you think you lack, There's a good chance God has already placed it in your tent, what you need for the job. And that's why he's tapped you on the shoulder for that job.
0: Okay, that's a wild moment right there. I'm just going to say.
2: Yep. So this is the first quality that Yael has that makes her well-suited to be God's instrument. She is willing to use what she already has. And the second one is related, the second point I wanted to make is related to the first, which is Yael not only knows what's in her tent, she doesn't hesitate to use it. She uses it boldly. And we see this in three different ways. So first, if we look at the very beginning in the story, in verse 18, the storyteller says, Yael went out to meet Sisera and says, turn aside, my master, turn aside and do not be afraid. She doesn't wait for her target to find her. She locates and finds him first. And this phrase, and she went out to meet, is important in the story because it's repeated verbatim a little further down in the story when Yael later goes out to meet Barak to bring him into the tent and show him that Sisera is in fact dead. Um, And so as I said before, whenever in the Hebrew text, especially in a story, you hear an exact repetition and the bells are ringing, pay very close attention Because something important is going on. So that whole, she runs out to meet Sisera rather than waiting around for him to find his way to her. And it just shows like her initiative. She's not hesitating to use what's in her tent. And another way that we see Yael move boldly and without hesitation is in the water versus the milk exchange that she has with Sisera. Now, this is where the adult theme comes in, but it's well attested, meaning it's something that scholars across the board have said. Um, in, I've, I've mentioned before in other talks that um, in the Hebrew Bible, the word for feet is often a euf- euphemism for a person's private parts. So if you want a couple of biblical citations that you can go to to kind of look that up on your own later on, it's, I'll give you two. Deuteronomy twenty eight fifty seven. And Ezekiel 16, 25. And you'll see for yourself how sometimes the word feet is actually meaning a person's private parts. So when the text tells us that Sisera asked for water, but Yael gives him milk, something sexual may be actually going on. And we know this because in the next chapter Judges 5, we were reading from Judges 4. In Judges 5, we have the benefit of hearing Deborah the prophet celebrate this victory in a long song and this is what she has to say about yael in her song she says most blessed of women is yael the wife of heber the kenite most blessed is she of women in the tent he asked for water and she gave him milk in a magnificent bowl she brought him curds she reached out her hand for the tent peg." and her right hand for the workman's hammer. Then she struck Sisera, she smashed his smashed his head, and she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell dead. So you hear that echo of him the image of Sisera falling between Yael's feet repeated almost verbatim twice there. And what I get from that and what I've seen read between other commentators and people discussing this passage means that uh, Yael at that moment might have been offering herself sexually to Sisera to entrap him in that moment. And the talk about her offering him milk in a magnificent bowl might also be euphemistic for saying that she was presenting a special kind of sensuous and uh, beautiful part of her body to him. Um, and as for her offering the milk instead of the water, I did a survey of milk in the Hebrew Bible and learned that it's a symbol of luxury and abundance. So, you know, we hear over and over the land of milk and honey, right? That's the symbol of luxury and abundance. But sometimes this lovely abundance can be physical. So if you go to the song of songs, the bride tells her husband, honey and milk are under your tongue. And he responds back and says he enjoys drinking her milk. So you can hear this sort of delicate and beautiful overlay um, of imagery going on here and understanding um, what Yael may be doing to accomplish what needs to get done. Now, Whether Sisera was able to take Yael up on her offer in his exhausted state is irrelevant. What's important is that Yael was willing to use any and everything, including her own body, within that tent as a a means of getting this man to fall asleep. She was not going to try to best him in hand-to-hand combat. She needed him unconscious for her to get him with that tent peg. So in other words, Yael was willing to lay it all on the line to get the job done. And Deborah praises for her for it. There is no condemnation for this daring, wily gesture on Yael's part in either the story of Judges 4 itself or the song about it in Judges 5. I'll let you sit with that for a
1: second. Well, oh, no, no.
0: <laughs> I am I'm reeling right now, just so you know. And hoping I have my job tomorrow, so uh, <laughs> um yeah, okay, we have some more discussion to do about this, so sure. yeah i'm I'm trying to uh I'm trying to see if what she is offering to help him sleep if it was in fact of a sexual nature, and Deborah is praising her, I'm trying to connect those dots
2: well, it's kind of we've seen this already before that. Women in the Hebrew Bible, especially in wartime context, mm-hmm. they are often forced into these situations where their bodies become currency. Okay. We saw this in Tamar in Genesis 38, when she had to pose as a prostitute. To, and it wasn't wartime context, but in her case, she was being uh, almost let out to be burned at the stake um, for becoming pregnant by uh, her father-in-law when she, when he she was denied the husband uh that she was supposed to be getting so
0: mm-hmm.
2: we've seen that women sometimes are forced into these positions where they just i like to say they lay it on all them on yeah. now
0: Rebecca here my, let's let, let's continue this after our break cuz we are coming up against a break here and i sure. I, I don't want to race through this cuz this needs some more time to process uh for everyone sure. dr rebecca ria is my guest uh, we're talking about uh, the story in judges chapter 4 and Yaël just put a peg through through a head. So we, <laughs> mm-hmm. we have more discussion. When we come back. Uh, don't go anywhere.
1: Bill Arno. time drive time let's get it started jump in your car yeah. what's for dinner yeah. it's the afternoon Show with Bill Arno.
0: I'm back with dr Rebecca Reed, and we're talking about judges chapter 4 and if you've missed any of this this is a fascinating ride and right before break we were getting to a pretty critical part in the story where Yael just put a peg uh, through Sisera's head in the tent and was going to do anything she needed to do to get him in that place where she could carry out that. So uh, I'm just trying to connect some dots and process things. And uh, I appreciate, Rebecca, you talking about uh, that that women would sometimes use their body as currency, uh, although that still doesn't, is not going to settle well with people, especially if she's being praised by Deborah for that.
2: Yep. And we'll talk, you know, I think at the end of this, um, teaching, there'll be time for more Q and a about that if you want to talk about that. But I find, again, we have to go back. That's the reason I started with Paul and and second Timothy, all scripture, all scripture is there. And with the Hebrew Bible, it's often very earthy and real Mm -hmm. and, um, it has a jagged edge. I've said before, um, desperate times call for daring measures and, uh, the Bible doesn't chastise those who lay, lay it all out on the line. It might not be prescriptive for us, meaning we don't have to do the exact same thing, but the principle might be there, which is we lay it all on the line, too. Okay. Whatever that means in our particular context.
0: Mm-hmm. As, so it's not
2: as, a, not as, an exact prescription, yeah. more like a des- description of the lengths to which we go.
0: So we're laying it all on the line, uh, in modern day, as long as we're not sinning though, right?
2: I, yeah. And I don't, I, I think again, um, the text is kind of, uh, purposefully vague about exactly what okay. she was doing. Okay. These are just, these are just notes, notes that are in the background that are creating like a counter melody there that if you're, you know, if I think Hebrew scholars reading this and indeed, you can go out there and the rabbis were hearing it and they like, they hear, you can't help but hear this counterpoint melody that's in the background saying, okay, what exactly might be going on there? What length is she willing to go to? Mm-hmm. And how, does, how exactly does a woman, without like, you know, seeming any weapons, you know, lure this guy and get a ten peg through his head? Good well, point. this is maybe why. Yeah. So so let's get to that third reason as to um, how she is able to get done what she needs done. So besides running out to get meet Sisera, and offering her body. The third and final way I find that Yael does not hesitate to use the resources in her tent is by counting up the verbs in this story. And I counted, and there are 12 verbs ascribed to Yael. That's way more than the five that are given to Sisera and the two that are given to Barak. Yael is by far the most active character in this narrative. She is always leaping from one maneuver to the next offering us a perfect foil for the man that she lulls to sleep. And a high level of activity is appropriate for Yael because her name means Ibex. And I looked up what an Ibex is, and it's a mountain goat. Mm -hmm. And I read that when an Ibex is born, it immediately starts jumping around. So (laughs) Yael is definitely fulfilling her name. She is taking the initiative, and she is leaping from one activity to the next.
0: And and Ibex will go to incredible dangerous lengths to get their minerals that they have to lick for their existence.
2: Well, they all lay it out. They lay it on the line, don't they? As they well. do, yes. So we can see that Yala is a powerful instrument in God's hand because she knows what she has and she doesn't use, hesitate to use any, any of it. And there's one more thing that I wanted to bring up and to, to show why she's such a good, if unlikely, divine agent, and that is this. It only takes her a split second to choose the winning side. Now, as I was reading this Yael story, I kept asking, why does she do what she does? Like, between the narrative in chapter four and Deborah's song in chapter five, Yael is called the wife of Heber the Kenite. And in Hebrew, that comes out, Hever hakeni. So, Hever, it, she's called that three times. Now, we know Hever himself is a friend to Yavin, the king. So why isn't Yael falling in line with that political alliance? In fact, when I looked at it, every single thing, tit for tat, that sister asked Yael to do, she disobeys. So, you know, he says, give, her wa- give me water, and she gives him milk. And then he says, if anybody should ask you if there's a man in your tent, say no. And, of course, the, the first chance she gets, she runs out, Barack and says, there's a man in my tent, go look. <laughs> it's like, she's like, she's got her own mind about things. And so she, she, cho- she's, you know, she's definitely chosen a side here. Um, and another detail in the story, which shows Yael's split second decisiveness is that when she drives the tent peg through Sis- Sisera's temple, um, verse 21 says that the tent, the, the peg went straight through into the ground. So to me, that means she hit that peg so hard that it penetrated Cicero's skull and embedded itself straight into the earth. Mm. She wasn't wasn't playing around. You know, once she made her choice to side with Israel, she went full throttle. Now, from our position as privileged readers, we have Deborah's prophecy um, pointing to Yael's alliance with Israel. But we also have something else to clue us in, and that's Yael's voice. Her, her speaking herself when she calls sister in, in verse 18, and this is where I call, I love it when the Hebrew like does something that you don't get in the English. And then when you look at it in the Hebrew, you hear it. When she um, says to sister, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me and do not be afraid. A little flag went up for me as a reader at, because I know repetition in the Hebrew again, is always significant. And in the Hebrew, turn aside, turn aside, is Sura, Sura. Literally, a man called Sisera is being told to Sura twice. So that echo between Sisera's name and Yael's urging tells me that he is a marked man from the beginning. He is the last survivor from his iron chariot army who tries to escape on foot. But Yael gets him because God empowers her to achieve complete victory for Israel.
0: Oh, that's we, a that's a, that's a very cool observation.
2: I when I when I heard it, I was like, "That's pretty cool." Yes,
0: yeah, I'm so with you on that.
2: We may never know, as readers, why exactly Yael chooses to side with Israel, even though she's a Canaanite. We just know that her background, her status, and her circumstances certainly do not disqualify her um, be, from being a divine agent um, for a pivotal purpose, to put to death an enemy and win peace for Israel. And I wanted to offer you kind of a personal illustration from my own life um, in how that uh, winning peace in a split second worked for me years ago. Um, I was serving in my old you know the church that I would belong to at the time, Um, on their prayer uh, prayer ministry team. And it was at the end of the service, and people were given the chance to um, come up to the front and get prayer if they wanted. And a friend of mine was crying really, really hard in the back of the room, and she seemed about ready to collapse. So with a couple of other women, we hustled her off to a, a private spa, and we began to pray for her that whatever issue was coming up for her, you know, that God would do something about that. And I just kept hearing in my head the phrase, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Over and over in in my head, you're going to be okay. And it felt like such like a simplistic kind of reductionistic thing to say in the face of her obvious, you know, overwhelming pain that I almost didn't want to say it, but in that split second, something made me decide, like, you know, just like Yael decided in that split second, I decided to surrender to that impulse and, I said, you know, I have to tell you, what I'm hearing is God saying, you're going to be okay. And then my friend starts to bawl even harder because all that morning she had been asking God, am I going to be okay? Wow. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit didn't allow me to hesitate, but like made me obey him in the moment because it won some peace for this friend when she badly needed it. It drove a tent peg through some dark lies that her heart was probably believing at that moment. So um, I have some practical applications. If you would like to switch over to that uh, (laughs) topic now about Yael's tent peg, Um, because most of us are not in you know, are not wielding actually actual tent pegs. And most of us do not have to, as I said before, put our bodies on offer to get God's
0: will, will done. <clears throat> well, R- Rosie's got three on the counter right now, so that makes me a little nervous um, <laughs> as, a, as a host. So <laughs> I always have to be o- obedient. So anyway, yeah, I I do want to get to that. Just when I think of Scripture, and whenever I hear a story in Scripture, it, because it's sacred and it's God's Word, I always just go with it. But if you yes. stop for a second and think of the the actual reality of her taking a tent peg... And running it up against this man's temple and hitting it so hard that it goes through his skull and goes into the ground. It's pretty. It's pretty gruesome.
2: It is. Yep. Um, the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, does not shy away from such things. So I know. It's, it's, today's teaching is adult theme, not just because of sexual stuff, but because of violent stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, I know.
2: It's all there. Yeah, it's all
0: there. And a lot um, of a lot of people struggle with the violence in the Old Testament, Rebecca. They they get to the Old Testament and they kind of blow through it they don't want to know they don't want to read it they don't want to they don't want to talk about it because they don't know what to do with the violence
2: right and i think what we have to always say is we read humbly we read with prayer we understand that even our as as christians our savior came to a violent end and establishing a principle in our heart that we're never going to look at violence but we're just going to race to the end we're just going to race to easter
0: yeah
1: is
2: impoverishing the whole entire story of Scripture, which begins in Genesis.
0: Yeah, and that's such a great point. So thank you for reminding that, that our Savior ended in a very violent death, and that this is things that we need to process. And you've already brought to our attention uh, that uh, Yael was using things that God had provided for her that were already in her tent. That's already something I'm putting in a brown paper bag and walking away with tonight. (laughs) Because everyone needs to be reminded that maybe God has already provided you with everything you need and it's right in front of your face.
2: Yes. And that's re- why you're that's why you're being tapped, in fact.
0: Yes, yes. And I love your story of being tapped uh by the Holy Spirit to let this prayer uh in in this prayer session, this woman know that she was gonna be okay. And boy, that was the right word at the right time. And I, I know that's often why people regularly tune into Faith Radio is they're hoping and praying for the right word at the right time. And this might be that very thing today, that this is the right word at the right time for somebody.
2: Yes. Yes. I hope, I, I dearly hope
0: so. Yeah. So, so why, why don't we break now? Because now would sure. be a good time to do that. And then we, we can come back and we can start getting the applications. Is that what we're going to talk about? Yep. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. You can learn more about Rebecca at rebeccaree.net. And she spells her last name R H E E Rebecca Re net. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, and thank you for checking out the podcast. I'm always glad when you. Make your way over to MyFaithRadio.com and look through the menu of everything you can listen to, programs that have already aired that you might want to hear again, or maybe you have a friend or a family member in mind that would really be blessed by hearing something you heard. And then it gives you an opportunity to talk about it and share your faith with a loved one. It's one of the great things I love about the podcasting at Faith Radio. And we have a great fundraiser coming up so, I would love for you to say yes to that. You can text the word give right now to 877 933 2484 or follow the link in the show notes to give your gift today. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Mm-hmm. I always learn so much when Rebecca Ree comes on the show, and I'm doing it again today, and I bet you are too. We are in Judges Chapter 4, learning about Yael, and this does have some violent and some sexual themes that we've warned you more than once, and so it's probably not for the younger ears, but if you just tuned in, uh, I don't know if you'll hear any more, but uh, so far there has been some in this hour, and if you have uh, not heard this until now, I always recommend the podcast, go and hear it from the beginning, because this is... Really, really interesting. All right, Rebecca, let's get back to some of the practical applications we can we can walk away with from this uh, this study. Yeah.
2: So, how can we follow Yael's example in our own lives? So, the first thing I want to ask first first application is: let's ask the question: Do you know what's in your tent?
0: Mm-hmm. Love that.
2: Um, there's a, a, a famous uh, credit card commercial right now that says, "What's in your wallet." Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, what's in your tent? <laughs> Ask yourself that question. What's in your tent? I love
1: that. Um, yeah.
2: Can you accept the truth that taking inventory of your gifts, your resources, your experiences, your hard your hard earned wisdom is not self centered introspection. It is not pride. It's preparation. It's learning about what's in your arsenal so that when the moment to be MacGyver comes. You're right there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You you got what you need right at hand. And I would say the addendum to that is don't compare yourself to other people because they're in their own tent. You've got your tent. They got their tent. Trust that God is equipping you just the way he wants to. So, and then, um, number two, keep a lookout for those who may have been marked by God to turn aside surah to you. um, and this is in a positive way, you're not trying to lure them to their death, but you may not always see them coming, but maybe it's a good idea to make it part of your daily prayer to be used as God's instrument, whether you're conscious of it or not, Mm -hmm. Um, that when the moment comes, you will put put it all on the line to rise to the occasion. And when I think about this, I think of Joseph um, in the Joseph story in Genesis, how he was in prison and then he was in prison again, but when his moment came to come and interpret the Pharaoh's dreams, he had this meteoric rise. He, you know, they pulled him out and it was his moment and boy, did he fulfill it. So, uh, and then he ended up saving all the, all 12 tribes of Israel as a result. So um, it's, I think it's good to like make it part of our daily prayer routine. Lord, let me, let me uh, cross paths with who I'm supposed to cross paths with and let me rise to the moment Mm
1: -hmm. when it
2: happens. Um, and then the third thing that is an important part of our calling as believers is to help other people achieve peace as Yael achieved peace for Israel. Mm. And that may involve killing off something that needs to be killing off and killed off in someone's life. You know, maybe someone's really discouraged or fearful because they're believing some lie about themselves. Or maybe they're fighting for their lives and they are starting to cave in under the pressure. And God may send us in to say a simple and encouraging word to help fend off that darkness. He may send us in to do a simple deed. Um, I can give you another personal example. One time I felt led to buy a good friend of mine a bag of groceries and I just, left it outside of her, her door. And she called me back later. And she said, you know, you got everything that I needed. And I just needed someone to pick up groceries for me today because I was so overwhelmed and I knew I wouldn't have time. You know, you just never know when you're going to drive a tent peg through that, that black hole, you know, that good point. We need to be warriors for each other. And um, sometimes that will come straight through, through a simple deed or a simple word. And I want to put an addendum on that, which is, don't go swinging that hammer and peg indiscriminately. Yaël made a very precise, precise and surgical move with hers, and she knew exactly what she was doing. So we need to make sure that we are being guided by the Holy Spirit as we engage others, or we may, in, in fact, do more harm than good. So know what's in your tent. Keep a prayerful lookout for those marked by God for you to engage. And be ready to humbly and carefully serve those contending with some oppression that needs to be put down in their lives. Hmm. Um, And if that sounds like a lot, remember, um, in his final hours before leaving his disciples, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I would like to add the implication and don't even try. (laughs) I like that. You know, apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't even try abide with God, let him take the leads in terms of, you know, directing your efforts. And Jesus also reminds us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Like he's already got these things appointed for us to do to go and bear fruit and that that fruit should remain. Um, and we, you know, now that we've brought Jesus into the conversation, Jesus used what was in his tent without hesitation. And he drove a tent peg through death itself to pave a way for us to follow him. And whatever we do, we do with his help, whether we are serving in a team like Deborah and Barack or whether we're going solo like Yael. So um, I guess I just want to like end the teaching on the, what's in your tent.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And when you did all this study for this, Rebecca, and I know you did because nobody prepares like you, um, and you, I'd like to just review these one more time. And I don't know if you are in a position to personalize it for us because when you're doing this study, you're probably doing a lot of self-examination because right now we're just hearing it. Now, we've got to go process this information, but is there discoveries you made about yourself that you could share just to give us a sample of what it felt like when you walked through that process, when you said, okay, what's in my tent? What did you discover was in your tent?
2: Well, I can tell you one thing right off. And again, it's, I want to underscore that when we do inventory of our tent, if we find good stuff, you might find a diamond in your tent. It's not pride; it's preparation. Okay? Because some people think like, "Oh, don't be such a navel geezer. Oh, don't you know? Don't make yourself out to be bigger than you are." No, we have to be uh, sober and realistic and um, cognizant of what's in our tent. And I'll Mm -hmm. give you a a personal example of this. When my son was diagnosed very young with autism, um, I started, we, it was recommended that we do four hours of therapy with him in the home a day. So you're talking about a kid who's uh, a year and a half old and doing four hours of therapy, of which mom needs to be a part. So two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and then everything else that a baby needs in between. And it was very, 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 intense. And it was all this early childhood development stuff, you know, all this early child psychology, childhood neurology. I, you know, and so one day in my great frustration, I said to the Lord, I didn't go to school for this. In fact, it took me a very long time to get my degree and I got a degree in biblical studies, uh, religious, you know, religion and literature, you know, specifically I did not go to school for this. So what, you know, what, what, what's the deal here? Mm. And he spoke back to me very like this intuition in my mind and in my heart. And he said, I don't want you to complain about this anymore because you got, I did prepare you. Your, your, your doctoral studies did prepare you in two important ways. And he said, number one, you were given wisdom. And number two, you were given endurance. And those are the two things that you need now.
0: Wow, I I could choke up hearing that story. That's so beautiful.
2: And that's precise. So I stopped kvetching so much because I thought, oh, and see, and that's not trying to puff myself up by saying I, I gained wisdom.
0: No, no, I, you're not puffing yourself up. I, but I I see it. I see the yeah, wisdom, and I and I see what is required in terms of patience, patience and perseverance. And you don't get so- HD unless you have both.
2: So you know you might be surprised you when you know again it's one of those cases where you know somebody's running outside your tent and you're supposed to go out and grab them and you may feel like but I I didn't you know prepare for this I'm not the right person and God may say oh but I beg to differ.
0: Mm. I love the the honesty where you just say God said no no I I did prepare you and you feel like you were at odds with God and then God obviously changed your mind.
2: He did. And I'm
1: still at odds with God about that
0: same topic. How, but, how, I mean, how can you not be when you think of sure. the, the child that you and your husband were expecting to have and praying to have, and then there was something brought into your life which was so intense? I mean, it's like you said, there's enough work to do with a one-and-a-half-year-old baby, period, let alone four-and-a-half hours of intensive therapy every day.
1: Yes.
0: And that's, yeah. that's not casual. That's very intentional.
2: Right, and sometimes we think w- we we interpret what's happening to us in one framework, but when God's looking at it, He's like, "Oh yeah, you're you're not in grad school for this. You're in grad school for that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> or he He'll what I like to call it is super abundant meaning. We look for meaning in our lives, but God gives us super abundant meaning. Meaning it's it's more than just one thing. When God's doing something, it's more than just one thing. You mm-hmm. can pretty much count on it. So,
0: so yes. uh, give me point two and point three one more time, because there's people that just jumped in their, into their car 10 minutes ago and they're trying to catch up.
2: So um, the application part? Yes. Okay. So our first one was take inventory of what's in your tent. Yep. Our second one is keep a lookout for those who may be marked by God who are running outside, your, running by your tent. Mm. Um, pray to, to be able to recognize them, engage them and rise to the occasion. Make that part of your daily prayer life
1: mm-hmm. and, and, that, and
2: then the the last part um, is being willing to be part of that process where you help kill off something that needs killing off in oh, someone's life.
0: I like that, so the second application might have been connected to the bag of groceries or the crying friend, right? Yes yep, and then the the using the, the tent peg to kill something off that needs to be killed off that might be the toughest one of all, uh, and well, probably one yeah. of the most important, right?
1: Well,
2: and again, I think that was, you know, helping my friend in the back saying, you're going to be okay. I think she was, she was believing a lie that she wasn't going to be okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, Rebecca. Yeah. It's just such great time when you come on. And so I want to just thank you so much for your amazing teaching and being part of the show. Thank you.
2: Oh, well, it's my pleasure, Bill. Thank you for having me. on.
0: You bet. Dr. Rebecca Reed's been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.